Welcome to Ghostly. Is Dublin haunted? Ghostly is a podcast that comes out every other week. In each episode, we take a ghost story or paranormal event and look into its complete history. Rebecca then gives us evidence proving that the story is real, and my job is to debate those pieces of evidence and get you, the listener, prepared to vote on if it's real or not. If you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out. As always, we're your host. I'm Pat. And I'm Rebecca. What's been going on, Rebecca? Well, it's summer, so it's hot. Oh, speaking of hot, um, so we're at your place and the AC is not working. I'm so sorry. And uh, (laughs) no fans during podcasting, so uh, I apologize for that. Uh, but it's. I'm happy it's nice out. I've been gardening and walking, and that uh, helps. So how about for you, Pat? Oh, man, it's just been a lot of work. Yeah. A lot of work. Uh, we did that Talking Paranormally, too. We did do another Talking par- talking Paranormally. Which we will release as a bonus episode, mm-hmm. just like every other one that we've done. So if you didn't get a chance to see it on YouTube... And you don't want to go watch it on YouTube. You, you can listen to it right here. Right now. Yeah. Or you can listen to it right here. Yes. Next week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so do we have any listener mail? Yeah. So we actually have a couple of things this week. So okay. first we have a response to last episode's listener mail. Yeah. Which is the Bell Witch episode. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, go do it. And I enjoyed doing that episode so much. So good. I loved it. Uh, and this listener mail was great. It was from Kathy, um, but it was me transcribing her okay. story. <laughs> so um, so her daughter, Anne, kindly wrote in um, and gave me a couple of corrections or updates okay. to the story. So here we go. Anne says, thank you so much for sharing our experiences on the podcast, Heart Smiley Face. I just wanted to let you know the room in the basement didn't have holes that we noticed. It was like a 10 by 10 room that was missing when we were looking at the original blueprints of the house. Wow, that's that's really weird. Yeah. The original door for the room had like a cork board over the wall. Once we took that down, we noticed it was cemented in and could tell a difference between the original wall and where the door used to be. The holes are two holes we made to see what was in the room. And that's where the spiritual woman said to put the sage in and seal it back up. So we put the sage in the holes and screwed wooden two by four squares over the holes. And not only was the sage out of the hole, but the wood was off as well. Also, Sluggo, our dog, is okay and well. (laughs) Well, I'm glad Sluggo's okay. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I think it makes it much scarier that not only was the sage knocked out, but also the wooden squares as well. Um, So thank you, Anne, for the update. (laughs) Yeah, thank you definitely for the update. Um, Kathy, her mother, does not like me being a skeptic. So I will not be debating any of this listener mail. Uh, I just enjoy a a good spooky story, you know? Yeah, and it definitely is one. Um, So then we also have a voicemail. It's our first one. Um, Very exciting. And um, now this person was anonymous. Okay. So they didn't give us their name. Um, But I will also say they they actually left us um, two more voicemails. But unfortunately, we, we only got one of the other. So there were three voicemails total. We only got two. So okay, if this yeah, is yeah. you when you're listening. We, we missed the middle one. The middle one. So if yeah. you don't mind calling back and leaving that, that's for that they were two different stories. Yes. Um 
So we've got one complete story yes. um, that we're going to share today, and then if you if you want to call back, and uh, and and we love the voicemails. It's a great way Absolutely. to share your stories with us, right? And then we could just play it. Yeah, you could tell us in your own voice. We won't make any mistakes or anything like that with reading or writing or <laughs> anything. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so here it is. Hi, I was calling because I kind of wanted to tell my personal story of what happened to me with the shadow people or a shadow person. Um, first things first, it's kind of important to know how my house was set up. First, when you walk in the back door, it's kind of just like a bathroom and then like a bedroom. And then if you continue to walk forward, kitchen continue to walk forward, living room. Um, my friend had stayed the night with me and I probably in my freshman year of high school and we were sitting at the table in the kitchen and from the side that she was sitting on, you could look down the hallway and see. Um, from the side that I was sitting on, you could not. Um, we were sitting there and we were just eating breakfast. It was early in the morning. My parents were at the store and she looks at me and she, you could tell that she's scared. Like, Right. It frightened me because she was speaking through her fear. It was so scary. And she asked me, she said, who is that pointing down the hallway? And I was like, what do you mean who is that? And I just kind of looked. And when I looked, there was this tall, large black figure just standing in my hallway. And it didn't move. It just stood there. We completely freaked out and ran upstairs, which the stairs were in the living room. We ran upstairs and grabbed my brother and his friend. As immediately as we walked into my brother's bedroom, the doorbell just kind of started going crazy. Like, it was so scary. Um, but really, I just really quickly wanted to tell you guys that story. Um, thank you. And I love your podcast, by the way. I listen to it on iHeartRadio all the time. Um, and happy almost birthday, uh, Pat. Bye, you guys. All right. Well, thanks for the happy birthday. I mean, that was really nice. <laughs> it was really nice, but that was a spooky, spooky situation. Shadow yeah. person in your in your house. So, <laughs> you know, ever since our shadow person episode where I invited the shadow people to come to me, I have seen a lot more. I will say that. I wow. still don't believe, though, but I've seen... More out of the corner of my eye. Interesting. Yeah. Well, if you've got a shadow person story or any other creepy story that you want to share with us, you can email us at info at ghostlypodcast.com or send us a message on any social media. Or if you want to leave a voicemail, just like this person did, it's 630-448-2138. 630-448-2138. All right. So now it's the time where we will do shout outs. And we actually have a shout out this time. Mm -hmm. um, so two ways to get a shout out on Ghostly. Either leave us a review on Apple Podcast, because this helps others find us. So we really appreciate that. Or if you buy us a coffee, we will give you a shout out. We actually used the money from buy me a coffee to buy coffee. <laughs> we did. What a crazy <laughs> situation. Uh, so Kevin Runge. Um, he sent us some coffees and, uh, his message to me was that I share a birthday with, with a president. You do? I do. Yeah. My birthday is June 12th. Now, not the year cause I'm not as old as any, any of the presidents, uh -huh. but, uh, this was George H.W. Bush. Ah, okay. Yeah. 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 Right, so yeah, I definitely do. So thank you, Kevin. We really appreciate it. 
Yep. And uh, he's very active in Ghostly Society as yeah. well. So if you want to go to Ghostly Society, Facebook.com, do a search for Ghostly Society and it'll pop right up. Mm-hmm. All right. So I guess I already know what's going to happen in these polls. I, I've I've had a feeling and I've been monitoring a little bit. <laughs> I, You know, I haven't been. Yeah. Um, you know, I looked a little bit at the beginning, but, uh, you know. So, yeah, the Band-Aid was already ripped off for me, so <laughs> why don't you why don't you give it to me? Share here? the polls. All yeah. right. So, in our last episode, we talked about the Bell Witch, and the question was, is the Bell's family farm haunted? And our results were 69% yes. Yeah. And 31% no. You know, I got to say, I'm a little surprised. I thought I would lose by a lot more. Really? Yeah. I no, I I actually I was worried. I actually didn't know if I would win this. Well, I think I think some people uh they vote before they listen to the episode. Ah, which yeah, I don't recommend that. Well, I've actually had one person tell me no matter what the poll, they always vote your side. Ah. Yeah. I don't know that that's about me so much as the <laughs> the side I represent, but um, well, they said nice. specifically you. Okay, okay. They always vote your side. So Team believer. That's always one against me. Yeah, well, I always recommend, though, that people listen to the episode first because you never know. Sometimes yeah. I say things. That's the whole idea might change your mind. Is is critical thinking, is yeah. thinking about these things and being able to say not every one of these ghost stories are real to anybody. Yeah. You know, there's no person that's like every single ghost story is completely real. Right. You've got to have that open mind in there. So I would also like to say that just like the AC, (laughs) uh, we had a bit of a problem with the polls on our website. Uh, Who would have thought that polling is this hard, right? Seriously. Um, But uh, we will make sure that the website has polls going forward. And actually, we switched the program that we use for polls. And now they're even cooler than they ever were. Yes, you were very excited about that. I polls. was really excited. <laughs> so go to ghostlypodcast.com and click on polls in the menu and you could vote there or continue to vote in Ghostly Society, which is our Facebook group that you could join. Uh, it's up to you. Um, but if you do come into Ghostly Society, no fighting. No fighting. No fighting. Now, you can actually also vote on our regular Facebook page, but sometimes, sometimes that can be hard. Sometimes it, Facebook gets weird and sometimes it's hard to find. Absolutely. On the Facebook page. So join the society. Then yeah. you won't miss anything. It, it's it's really a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. So finally, let's get into this episode. Mm-hmm. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite cities outside of the U.S., Dublin. Great city. Yeah. And it's funny because going to Dublin feels like it's another part of Chicago, Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that was the biggest thing because that was the first place I went in Ireland. And I was like, oh, it's just kind of like being in Chicago. It is. It feels a lot like Chicago. So I think the planners for Chicago after our great fire wanted it to feel like Dublin and just made it, you know, Dublin Jr. And now we have more people. There you go. So Dublin is filled with a ton of history and spooky ghost stories. Its people have gone through a lot of political and religious persecution throughout its long, long history. The idea of this episode came from the song Molly Malone. Uh, Just on a whim, I thought I'd do some research to see if Molly was a real person. 
One line of the song was really ghostly to me. It really stood out. She died of the fever and no one can save her. And that was the end of Sweet Molly Malone. But her ghost wheels her barrow. I think it's barrel. Ghost wheels her barrel through streets broad and narrow, crying cockles and muscles alive, alive, oh. Doesn't that sound really ghostly there? Yeah, very ghostly. So I wanted so bad for this to be a real life story. But sadly, it appears that it was a, a made up character. Or, you know, there's no record of this Molly Malone living and dying. And yeah. So that was the end of Sweet Molly Malone episode for us. Um, but it birthed the concept of doing an episode on different cities around the world to dive into their culture a little bit and see if this could bring about some evidence that ghosts are real finally to me, right? Yeah, no, I'm really excited about this kind of world tour. Yeah. It's not like every episode, but kind of like- no, occasionally we're Yeah, do like one. we do, you know, different themes of yeah. episodes. This is going to be a new one for us, which is to do a, a whole city. Yeah. And uh, try every to bring some- Every few episodes. Yeah. Maybe. You know, I I'm, don't even- we don't even have anything set for the future for another city. I have some ideas, though. Yeah, and if you have any ideas, always let us yes. know. Yes. So what I'm really looking for in this is to look into different cities in different parts of the world, and um, maybe maybe they have ghost stories that uh, we do not hear told over and over again. You know, maybe they're really unique ghost stories mm. to that particular area, or maybe maybe they're exactly the same as all the other ghost stories and that somehow proves that um that ghosts are universal um throughout the world and maybe that's what what it's going to take for me to believe i don't know mm. i'm not holding my breath but i'm interested to see <laughs> most american ghost stories can be traced back to or or they somehow became changed through our spiritualist movement that was from the 1840s through the 1920s and beyond. The spiritualist movement has forever changed our view on ghosts. And I know there was a spiritualist movement throughout the world, um, but these all hit at different times. And so my thinking is that it might not be so closely related to the ghost stories we hear about in that area then. So maybe it'll be something, you know, really that finally just does it. Okay. Or I could be completely wrong. I don't ah, know. <laughs> also very possible. Okay. So I am sure that you have a ghost story and I am very excited to hear it. All right. I do have one. Okay. So here is our ghost story. Our visit to Dublin was beautiful, fun, and informative. Everything I wanted for our family's first international vacation John wanted to visit the city his great-grandfather came from and experience it with the kids. Really, I couldn't have asked for a better trip. Except there's one thing that happened that I feel I have to talk about because I'm just, I'm still unnerved by it. We took the advice of the man at the pub by our hotel to visit Kilmainham Jail. I was a little worried, but little Johnny really wanted to go and the man said that it was safe, had been turned into a museum. So we went. Everything seemed fine until we got to the main gate. Kelly just froze when she got there. Her eyes opened wide and she looked, well, she looked frightened. 
She just stopped and said she didn't want to go in. I knelt down to ask her why, and she just said it felt bad, and she didn't like it. Well, Johnny, of course, told her she was stupid, and then everything turned into children squabbling, but we did eventually go in. I could tell Kelly was nervous, but I just thought it was because it looked a little scary. I mean, it was a prison. We were able to sign up for a tour, and soon we were walking around learning all the horrible things that had happened in this place. So I decided to distract Kelly from all that by walking a little apart with her and finding our own things to look at. Only, I think our own tour showed us more than the main one. Every so often, things would get very cold. But we realized it was just isolated to certain areas, though you couldn't really see why. We also heard footsteps behind us twice. But when we turned around, no one was there. One time, Kelly yelled out, and when I asked her what happened, she said she had heard children crying and screaming but we didn't see anything. Then it happened. We both saw him. We were looking at the big courtyard where, I later learned, they had executed many, many prisoners. And we saw a man wearing old-time clothes. He was just standing there, looking at something we couldn't see. He looked so sad. Kelly saw him first and pointed him out to me. I told her, Oh, look, they have reenactors dressed up to show people what they look like. Kelly looked at me and said, I don't think so, Mommy. And when I looked back, he was gone. I was pretty shaken up at this point, but I knew there had to be a logical explanation. We hurried up to rejoin the tour, and I asked the guide about the reenactor. He looked at me confused and said, We don't have that here. Many bad things happened here, and while we want people to remember... We wouldn't want to reenact anything. We leave Dublin tomorrow, and as I said, it has been an amazing trip, and I'm, I'm happy we came here, but I'm uneasy about that jail. I hope Kelly forgets everything we saw. Unfortunately, I know I never will. Wow. So where'd you get that story from? My head. Your head? All? No, well, it's based a little bit on... Some, some sighting things that happened at that jail. Wow! So we're, are we going to we'll, talk about that jail? Oh, uh, yes, we will talk about that jail. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, maybe we should take a break. I like it. And I'm going to go get a bucket of ice. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so here at Ghostly, we have a new sponsor: Sinister Coffee and Creamery. Yeah, Sinister Coffee and Creamery is a shop in Portland owned by an amazing couple, Kelly and Michelle, who are also super into the paranormal and do their own investigations in addition to making amazing coffee. What's really cool is that they pick their coffee names to give insight into the deeper meaning behind supernatural and paranormal terminology. Our favorite blend is Apparition. It's a medium roast with delicious chocolate oats. And Ghostly listeners get 10% off when they use the code GHOSTLY10 on their order at SinisterCoffeeAndCreamery.com. And that will be in our show notes, too. It will. So order some today and enjoy a little ghost with your coffee. 
All right. So we're back, and now it's the history time. Let's do this. Let's do it. Uh, So the history of Dublin is very long. Unlike most U.S. cities, we have a really deep well of historic facts to draw from. So I'm going to kind of go through a highlight of its history. So this episode isn't like four hours long. Okay, good. Because you had me a little worried there for a moment. <laughs> I was like, all right, am I going to like read a novel? or? <laughs> it's going to seem like it, maybe. Uh, Dublin was actually founded by the Vikings in 841. That is new, if... new information to me. Wow, already, already. Yeah. Uh, they named it Dublin, two words, which means Blackpool. And that sounds like something straight out of Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It was fortified with a ditch and wooden gate around it. The Danes erected an artificial hill where the men of Dublin... Dublin. (laughs) Dublin. Dublin. Would meet to make laws and discuss policy. Of course, the women folk weren't allowed in those (laughs) decisions. Definitely not. Um, that was wrong already. Uh, the Vikings' living conditions were very primitive, though. The houses were wooden huts with a thatched roof, no chimneys or glass windows. Could you imagine the bugs? Yeah. And um, there was no heat or air conditioning there. I could imagine that right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, for most of human history, <laughs> this is how people lived. Yeah, but not in Pat's history. Pat's history has always had AC attached to it. Well, we have a new saying now, Pat Facts. Pat Facts. Pat yeah. Facts, and that is uh, that is one of them. Yeah. Dublin had blacksmiths and carpenters, jewelers and leather workers. They'd make combs from bone or deer antlers. Um, but they also had a relatively large wool weaving industry. Slowly, the Danes were converted over to Christianity, and the first bishop of Dublin was appointed in 1028. That's that's a long time ago. That is a long time ago. <laughs> uh, there were many wars during the Vikings' rule of Dublin. Every time, though, they recovered and made Dublin even better. Dublin grew to be the largest and most important town in Ireland. By the 11th century, it is guessed to have had a population of about 4,000 people. That is a large town by those standards in that day. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, I guess, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like, like here it would be like a little rural place, but it was pretty big for then. Yeah, okay. Uh, They would trade with the English towns of Chester and Bristol. In 1166, MacMurrow, king of... Leinster was forced to leave his kingdom and flee abroad. In 1169, he enlisted the help of a Norman, the Earl of Pembroke, known as Strongbow, and they invaded Ireland. When the Norman army approached Dublin, the archbishop was sent out to negotiate. But while the leaders talked, some Norman soldiers took matters into their own hands and broke through the defenses into the town. They set about killing the townspeople. The Viking king and his followers fled by sea. So that was the end of the Vikings in there. Wow. MacMurrow um, died shortly after this in 1171, and Strongbow declared himself king of Leinster, so also king of Dublin then. Okay. So the Normans had complete control of the town at that point. 
Yeah. Now the the Normans too were uh, French originally. Oui, oui. So. So yeah, they got around. But then also had been Vikings before. Anyways, yeah, it's, it's just all. Yeah. Anyways, the Vikings came back, but were outnumbered, and the king of the Vikings was captured and executed. Whoa. The English king was afraid that Strongbow would become too powerful and might call himself King of Ireland. To prevent that from happening, the English king came over to Ireland himself. Most of the Irish rulers submitted to him, and uh, he became Lord of Ireland. Now, I had you watch um, uh, Braveheart. Mm-hmm. So you could see how they could do something like this. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, it's almost like Star Wars where the emperor had to come and oh yeah you know like be there himself because yeah, he definitely. was worried about Vader definitely yeah or, or or maybe you know Star Wars might have taken a bit of a hint no no from no they knew about Star Wars back then oh. so that's yeah okay art uh, imitated or life imitated <laughs> art uh, the English king gave Dublin to the merchants of Bristol it became their colony. Afterward, many people from Bristol and southwest England came to live in Dublin. For centuries afterward, Dublin was ruled by the English or those of English descent. In 1190, Dublin was devastated by fire. Always a hazard when most buildings were made of wood. <laughs> Again, in Chicago, we, we, uh, we feel that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. However, Dublin was soon rebuilt. The Normans built a wooden fortress in Dublin. And in the early 13th century, it was rebuilt into stone. Nice, smart. Yeah, definitely. The English king also rebuilt the walls of Dublin and strengthened them. Furthermore, in 1229, Dublin gained its first mayor. Dublin grew rapidly and may have had a population of 8,000 by the 13th century. That's a double. It is, yeah. A double Dublin. (laughs) There were a few other rebellions in Dublin, but nothing really took. Even when Henry VIII declared himself head of the church and closed the monasteries and nunneries, it started some resentment, but not really a revolution. Henry VIII's son, Edward, and his daughter, Elizabeth, introduced even more radical reforms that the people of Dublin and the rest of Ireland pretty much ignored and kept practicing Catholicism. Okay. In the 16th century, Dublin's upper and middle classes prospered, so much so that it didn't even resemble the people that had lived in Dublin until then. They installed chimneys and glass windows that up until now were only a luxury that a few people could even dream about. Wow, that's pretty uh, advanced. It is pretty advanced, yeah. Maybe they had air conditioning then. Yeah. Chimneys. (laughs) Glass, windows, and AC. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Between 1579 and 1650, they had many outbreaks of the plague, and it ended up killing thousands of them. Uh, Some estimate that it it killed off half of the population, bringing them from around 18,000 people back down to around 9,000 people. That hits hits hard. It does, especially in this time. Yeah. And during this time, there was the English Civil War of 1642 through 1646, where Catholics were expelled from Dublin in large numbers since the English questioned their loyalty. Whoa. 
1670, thatched roofs were outlawed because they were a threat for fires that could eventually destroy all of Dublin. And when I went to Ireland and saw some thatched roofs, that was my thought too. And also the bugs, because it's just like straw on the top of your house, you know? Yeah, seems like if you can build a stone thing that maybe we've evolved past well, the Dublin, thatch. Dublin was different, though, after yeah. 1670. Okay. So Dublin grew very fast after its last outbreak of the plague. Going from a population, you're, this is this is crazy. Okay. Going from a population of only nine thousand in sixteen fifty, to fifty years later being at sixty thousand. How do you handle that? That's crazy. I didn't. Okay. I didn't handle it at all. <laughs> <laughs> you just you were just walking around going, I can't handle it. I can't yeah, handle that it. That was me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dublin was seen as an area for the well-to-do and actually looked to uplift their poor lower class. In 1703, the Irish Parliament passed an act for building a workhouse where the destitute, of whom there were still many, could be housed and fed. So the rest of the 1700s saw a lot of growth in Ireland and Dublin. In 1735, Parliament House was built. This was a new meeting place for the Irish Parliament. Libraries and schools were built. Many churches were built. They received their first fire brigade. Many hospitals were built, and a couple that I found really interesting. In 1729, a foundling hospital for unwanted children was built, and there was a lot of them. Mm -hmm. In 1745, St. Patrick's Hospital for the Mentally Ill was built. Oh, you built a hospital? I'm not a saint. Oh. Yeah, I wanted to be when I was a kid, though, but I am not. <laughs> uh, one of the most important things, though, was in 1794, a dispensary was founded, which gave free medicines to those too poor to buy them. Wow, too bad the medicines were of no help and, in fact, <laughs> probably caused more pain There's probably a problems. lot of cocaine being given to people back Maybe. then, I would imagine. Now, of course, 1794, already in the United States. Yeah. There was a United States. There was a United States at this yeah. point. So we're moving up. Uh, Stagecoaches began running from Dublin to other towns such as uh, Kilkenny, Cork, and Belfast. I have been to Kilkenny and Cork and Dublin, but not Belfast. I've been to both of those two and not Belfast either. Yeah. There's wanted, a reason for that. Well, though. there is. Yeah. Uh, in the in Well, the reason, I'm going to just say it. Okay. The reason is because Belfast is in Northern Ireland, and when I was there, it was in the year 2000. In the year 2000. And there was a lot of scare of the IRA, which at that point was almost like a terrorist group, uh, was bombing places and stuff. So we were we were forbidden. Or actually, it was just not part of our tour. Well, but. when I was there, um, it was around that time, um, we, we were not. We did not know each other at that point, uh, but uh, I was there uh, studying uh, in England, and I went to Ireland, and I did not go to Belfast because my mother would have been a very upset uh, because oh, okay. of everything that was happening over there. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, I, uh, uh, I studied with a girl who was from Belfast, and she was confused why none of us wanted to go I visit. Hear it's beautiful. Oh yeah. I mean, I would love to, but I said, but you know, our parents are worried. And she said, Oh, I mean, 
you know, the, 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 the bombings don't happen that often. I mean, it was like the way she talked yeah. about it, I felt so sad because it was like, this is obviously just a part of your life. Well, up until September 11th, we didn't know what it was like to have um, mass terrorism on, on U.S. soil. Yeah. So, but over in European countries and in the United Kingdom, there was. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So let me keep going or we're going to be talking about I this know, forever. I know, I it's, know. It's so interesting though. So in the 1800s, the population had swelled to 180,000 people. They keep doubling. They do. Doubling doubles. <laughs> Glasnevin Catholic Cemetery opened in 1832. And you talked about that during uh, Talking Paranormally. Yeah. I was just going to say that sounds very familiar. Yeah. So definitely check that out next week and you'll hear all about Glasnevin and the uh, spookiness that happens there. Absolutely. Many new advancements were made in the 1800s, including a gas company that would light the streets starting in 1825. Uh, They had a rule prior to this that every fifth house had to be lit up with with candles. But now they had gas lights, so they didn't have to do that. Oh, interesting. But I could see that because it's like, yeah, we need to be able to see on the street and stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Um. And in 1881, they actually started to install some electric streetlights, which was which predates the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, where electricity and streetlights were pretty much um, introduced and sold. So they they started before wow. Chicago. Um, but, you know, it was still rare until the 1900s for them to have many. Um, between 1845 and 1851... It marked a really dark time through um, through Ireland's history as the potato famine or the Great Hunger decimated all of Ireland, killing off a quarter of the population. And many more had moved to the U.S., the U.K., or parts of Europe. Wow. But what I didn't know is that the famine didn't have the same effect on Dublin as it did the rural areas of Ireland. Dublin actually grew in population during this time. And as many farmers as as many farmers saw the value and protection of living in a big city finally. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, during the potato famine, uh, they were overwhelmed by the numbers fleeing starvation into the countryside. Soup kitchens had to be set up in the streets to try and feed them. And I saw a bowl that they had made like a pot that they had made with like uh things to um funnel off the water from the sides oh okay um and they said that if it wasn't for this particular kind of bowl structure that they would have lost more than half of the population of ireland wow yeah and there's a museum too about the um they actually know exactly where the potato famine started it was a it was a virus okay for the potatoes. Right. And they know the exact farm. Or at least my tour guide said that. Wow. I was ha- I was half asleep. Because, <laughs> you know, also in uh, Ireland at the time I was there, which was, I believe, in June of 2000, um, the sun didn't set till after, like, it felt like midnight. Oh, yeah. I was there, I think, maybe in, like, uh, May or something like that yeah. or, or April. And it was like I, we came out of the pub at 11, and it was still light out. Yeah. Yeah. And my my tour would leave at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning. So I really wasn't getting that much sleep. Mm-hmm. So, 
Um, so the city of Dublin's growth didn't slow down at all during the potato famine. Wow. Interesting. Would not have guessed that. I didn't either. On April 24th, 1916, Irish nationalists launched the Easter Rising against British rule and proclaimed an Irish Republic. Although it was crushed after a week of fighting, the Easter Rising and the British response led to greater popular support for Irish independence. And I know you you have a story about that. Well, I definitely a lot of the things that we're talking about, especially in you know the the, la- the more recent history here, are absolutely going to show up in our uh, haunting stories for sure. Great. Um, Ireland fought for its independence from the United Kingdom between 1919 to 1921 in a grueling war, fought with guerrilla warfare. It was the IRA, which is the Irish Republican Army. They were not terrorist organization. Well, maybe they were in the in in the English eyes, mm-hmm. you know, but they fought the British Army then. So I just think that was like right after World War One, and yes. then yeah. you know, yeah, interesting. Yeah. On November twenty first, nineteen twenty, it's known as Bloody Sunday. So like the U two song. Sunday. Sunday, bloody Sunday. That one. All right, thanks, Rebecca, <laughs> for that rendition. Hey. I'm sure Bono is listening to this, and he really appreciated it. He's going to sue us right now. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, bloody Sunday was one of the most significant events to take place during the Irish War of Independence. On this day, 30 people were killed or fatally wounded. It's not so much the amount of people, but how everything happened, and it's both sides, too. Most of the assassinations occurred within a small middle-class area of the south inner city of Dublin. It started with the IRA seeking out members of an undercover British intelligence agency in Dublin. The IRA members went to a number of addresses and killed or fatally wounded 16 men. Then the English retaliated by opening fire at a Gaelic football match in Croke Park, which killed or fatally wounded 14 civilians and wounded at least 60 more. That evening, two Irish Republicans, Dick McKee and Peter Clancy. Sounds good. Um, it's spelled differently than how you'd spell Peter. Um who had helped plan the earlier assassinations along with a third man, a civilian named Connor Clun. Now that sounds like a Scottish name. <laughs> uh, so they happened to be caught with the others. They were beaten and shot dead in Dublin Castle by their captors, who claimed that they were killed during an escape attempt. In May of 1921, Ireland was partitioned under British law by the Government of Ireland Act, which created Northern Ireland. Later on, December 6, 1921, there was a treaty called the Anglo-Irish Treaty that was signed, which gave Ireland its freedom, all but Northern Ireland. Most of the IRA was happy with this treaty, but there was a growing division within the IRA that just didn't like it at all. Um, They wanted all of Ireland. And this eventually erupted into a civil war in 1923, where the side that was the anti-treaty people, they were defeated. Most that were anti-treaty left political activity altogether, but a minority continued. In May 1941, the Germans bombed Dublin, killing 28 people during World War II. Okay. 
Today, the population of Dublin is at 527,000. Okay, they've grown from they've the 4,000. They've grown 000. a little bit, yeah. <laughs> the average age of the population, though you might not know this, mm. the average age of the population of Dublin in 2016 was 37.4 years of age. Mm. This is up from 36.1 in 2011, a rise of 1.3 years. This is no surprise, as Dublin is now considered one of the few technology hubs in the world. It competes with California, London, Tel Aviv, and Beijing. And with Brexit, Dublin is positioned to get a lot of the tech companies that were in London and the United Kingdom. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. So do you have anything else to add? I No, man. I mean, other than I'm... So I know... You know, it seems like a, like a lot of history, but I'm going to be honest, that's going to be super helpful for us when we talk about the ghost stories well, that's, to have that. That's why I said it. <laughs> I, it's, I mean, I, it really does. It's amazing. Like we do our research kind of separate and, yeah. and some, yeah, try to look over some stuff, but, you know, we really kind of have our own thing. And uh, it's just always amazing to me how, how they fit together. So. Absolutely. And I love looking at the history around the ghost stories. You know, not many people do that. And I really... It really makes me understand it better. Yeah, definitely. All right. So maybe we should take a break. I I think that's a good idea. We've had a lot of history. And we will be right back. Yes. Hey, listeners. Did you know there's a way to share with the world whether you're hashtag team believer or hashtag team skeptic? Or for those who need it, hashtag team the middle. It's our store called Ghostly Gear. Yep. And we even have custom ghostly designs like microclimate or even the Easter Island Massacre or of the ghostly logo. Just visit our Ghostly Gear store right on ghostlypodcast.com to order your t-shirt, hoodie, mug, mask, Whatever. <laughs> okay, okay. I think we got it. Um, they they just need to visit ghostlypodcast.com and click on Ghostly Gear to order right on the website and send us any ideas that you have for new merch. Exactly. Order your merch today and send us a pic of you in your ghostly gear. All right, so time to get into the debate. Let's get this ghostly going. All right. Um, so I picked three haunted locations in Dublin for us okay. to talk about. Now, of course, there are many, many more. I mean, we talked about the um, the cemetery <laughs> earlier, and there's just so many that we could talk about, but I wanted to keep us focused. So um, there's also another one that I found that is so good and so big that I put it on a list for a future episode. It it needs its own. Because all the other ghost stories in this one are really good, too. They're amazing, but they're yeah. they're shorter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You whereas know, whereas that, that one, one needs its own history, needs yeah. its own... It's going right. to be great. But these are... these I, I love these. I think this I think these three represent a lot of, um, of Ireland. So, first one um, is the Brazen Head Pub. I mean, uh, of course, we have to have a pub. 
Yes. As part of our thing. So, uh, so I thought, uh, for each of these three, I'll give, uh, we'll give a little bit of history. I wrote up some, some notes for that, um, and shared them with Pat. So, uh, we'll kind of trade off talking about the little bit of history and yeah. then I'll, I'll talk about the ghost part. So, um, so this, this first one I'll start with Brazenhead pub is Ireland's oldest pub. Okay. Um, there has been an inn or some sort of hostelry here, um, since 1198. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Uh, the current building was built in 1754 as a coaching inn uh, at where they, you know, the coaches with the horses. You kind of had talked about that in the history. Um, but the brazen head name appears in documents dating back to 1653. Wow. Yeah. So uh, it was the main place where the Irish planned their revolution. The the up the kind of the uprising no that was that was in 1900s so that's not the one that we're talking about oh that there's sorry there's there's so many there's so many uprisings so this is yeah. one of the earlier uprisings yeah this was in 1798 yes so we're uh, the dubliners the dubliners okay thank you <laughs> see i need your help with the history um so they this was um so M- robert emmett was would hang out in this pub um to plan the rising of 1798. Wow. Yeah. Um and then Michael Collins mm-hmm. also sought safe haven at the Brazen uh Brazen had during the next revolution. Yeah, which is which <laughs> the big which one. is after the Easter rising. Right. So the, Sunday bloody Sunday. Yeah, that one. And uh and then interestingly the bar itself was caught in the fighting because it's right downtown. Like it's I could see that. it was right by yeah. where the British were and had you know had their their headquarters and everything. Um and so it was actually almost destroyed during the Easter rising of ni- uh nineteen sixteen and also again during the Civil War of 1922. Wow. Um, but was rebuilt. Okay. Um, each of those times. Uh, some famous people, um, uh, other than those two that I just mentioned, Jonathan Swift would pass by the pub on his way to St. Patrick's Church. And he wrote in a letter, here only at the sign of the brazen head are to be sold places and pensions. Beware of counterfeits and take care of mistaking the door. Uh, mm. Who was Jonathan Swift? <laughs> Um, he is, he was the, um, they got like the dean of the church or oh, the, okay. anyways, he wrote stuff. There's yeah a lot out there with him. Uh, and then James Joyce also frequented the pub and mentions the brazen head in Ulysses. Which is oh, his nice. Big famous book. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, okay. So the ghost story is that Robert Emmett, the revolutionary is said to be seen sitting in his favorite spot in the corner where he can keep a watch out for his enemies. He was hanged in 1803, only a few meters away at the top of the hill outside the pub. So he keeps an eye out for the hangman who also would frequent the pub. Wow. So that is the, the ghost story associated with the brazen head. Mm. Mm. So So there's been a lot of people that have seen him. Yes, I could not find any particular accounts accounts of it though. Okay, it's just one of those like apocryphal kind of people talk about it. Yeah. yeah, I would say it's local legend. I would say it's just like people know that uh, a lot of people have gone to this bar. He might not even have gone gone to this bar. Actually, <laughs> no, that part I pub. think is that 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 wasn't that long ago. I mean, it's enough that the we 1800s? have eighteen hundreds. 
Yeah, there's letters and stuff. Oh, okay. Like, so I, I think we're good. But, um, but, but I think that knowing that, you know, he used to frequent there, I think that, um, yeah, I think that they just put him in there. And also a place where they're selling a bunch of ale. Uh, you know, it makes sightings a lot easier. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I think so, too. What? Yeah. This one I find, I like I said, I kept looking to see wow. if I could find like a particular account of someone who said they could see him or whatever. And it just seems, I mean, it's possible, but... Like you said, it just seems more like a, a legend yeah, that people tell. Absolutely. And it's a way for the bar to like, you know, have people like think of it. It's drunken lore. <laughs> so so well, what is your what is your rating? So my rating is actually going to be a four. My rating is going to be a one. Wow. We're really close on this one. Yeah, we are. This is like the first. I think this is the closest we've ever been. I think it might be. <laughs> All right, so what else you got for okay, me? Okay, so our next location is the Collins Barracks. Mm. So uh, do you want to help me out with the history yeah. here? Yeah, so it was the oldest continuously occupied barracks in Europe at one point. It was built in 1702 and housed both British Armed Forces and the Irish Army through three centuries. In 1997, it became part of the National Museum of Ireland for the decorative arts and history exhibits. Which uh, seems kind of funny to me. But I mean, yeah. I think they actually have like huge planes there and boats and all sorts yeah. of stuff. It's pretty cool. I didn't get to go to any of the museums when I was in Dublin. Yeah, I just, yeah, I didn't I really to wanted museums. to do my laundry. It was like 12 <laughs> days since I had done laundry <laughs> and I was not smelling very good. So gotcha. I really was excited. And there was a laundry mat you could take your laundry in. And it was like um, 16, not pounds, but pence. pints. Pence. No, it was pints, wasn't it? Or No, pence. pence. Pi- pints is what you drink. Oh, well, pence I was probably drinking the... too. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, It is the earliest public building in Dublin and was started in 1701. It was called the Barracks and then the Royal Barracks before being renamed Collins Barracks in 1922 for Michael Collins. That fought in the revolution. Yep. The and the executions of the 1798 rebels took place outside the barracks walls, and the bodies were disposed of in the ground between the barracks and the river, which became known as Croppy's Hole or Croppy's Acre. There you go. So the 1798 rebellion, that was the Robert Emmett one. Yes. yes. That was a... See, I didn't include that in my history because it was... It was an attempt that was foiled. So what it what had happened was um, they they got a lot of people involved and they really went into Dublin and, and were going to do stuff, but the um, the Dubliners, the the Dublin citizens, actually um, they they didn't want it. They weren't ready yet. And it was the Irish, too. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Irish versus, well, Irish-ish, because Dublin was made <laughs> of Normans and Vikings right, and all and, those other and things. And British and, yeah, right, Bristol, whatever. Yeah, right. All right. So here's what we get for the barracks. Okay. Okay. Now, th- I found this really interesting website called the Paranormal Database. Oh, I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't have any American stuff there that I could find. It was more British, Irish, and Wales, UK kind of Welsh. stuff. Welsh. 
Um, okay, so here's what they say for the barracks. Several entities are said to exist at this former barracks, including a black shadowy figure and soldier in 19th century uniform. Truck drivers have reported seeing figures in Napoleonic-era uniforms burying the dead in Croppy Park, while visiting tourists said that they had watched soldiers in First World War uniforms, believing them to be a reenactment group. Screams, panicked horses, and gunfire have also been heard coming from the area. So basically, people feel like they see soldiers, like they report different kinds of soldiers that they see. Wow. Well, I mean, given that this is a barracks, you know, I would... Um, say that that is something I would expect. Like if I went to a barracks that was that old and that much history has taken place there, I would expect there to be ghostly soldiers. That that would be my expectation. So I believe it's expectation and desire that's causing these people to see those things. I don't believe it's legitimately anything... Um, and I have not seen any videos or anything for this. So, well, for me, I, this feels a little bit more likely, just because it is a barracks. There, you know, a lot of the the revolutionaries were were executed there. You know, lots of war, lots of um, you know, kind of more negative energy there. And I feel like this one, it seems like there's been more sightings, different sightings. Um, and that's a little bit where I got this idea of like the reenactor, it, it took place at a different place in my story, but that idea of, uh, people were like, oh, like, are they doing a reenactment today? And it was like, nope, they're not. Mm. So, wow. and I don't know if I would expect if I was going to what is a museum, if I would expect there to be ghosts. I don't know. Given the history of it though, I, I would. Mm. Like if I was a believer or if I was more open to the concept going there, I would be like, maybe I'm going to see something. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So what was your rating mm-hmm. day? Uh, let's go as high as a two. What? Yeah. Wow. I'm going to say six. Wow. We're moving apart a little bit, but you're following me. Wait, I was one, you were four, so we were three apart. We're four apart. I mean, it's not that much of a difference. No, no, no. It's a, so again, I I you know, again, I couldn't find a speci- too many specific stories. Um, but it felt like there were but there were more stories and I did find some detail, you know, kind of as I was going. So sure. uh it just feels a little bit more believable to me. So our third location is, I think, the most haunted one. So we're going to have a couple stories from this one. Okay. All right, so this is the Kilmainham? 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 Okay. K- yeah. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not Irish. and I I'm, Kill him in. Kill him in. Kill him in. Go for it. Sorry, Irish listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and I cannot do an Irish accent. I have tried for years. It's not happening. Anyways, it's a jail. Okay. <laughs> Kill him in jail or goal. I, I'm going to say jail. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, do you want to help me out with the history a little bit with this one? We can yeah. kind of go back and forth here. Yeah. Uh, former prison that is now a museum run by the Office of Public Works. Yeah. Uh, it was built in 1796 and was called New Jail, obviously, okay. because <laughs> it was mm. the New Jail. Isn't that gall? Gaul, New Gaul, New Jail. I don't know. Okay. I think they that was how they used to say it. Um, public hangings took 
took place out front until 1820s. Yeah. Uh, There were no separation of the prisoners, at least at first. Men, women, children all lived together in cells of up to five people with only a single candle for light and heat. Um, I think later they they were separated, um, but definitely the conditions for the women were far poorer than the men. The men would have, they said, had iron beds where the women and children had to sleep on straw. Straw sounds better than iron to me. I don't know. <laughs> but okay. Uh, many of the adult prisoners were transported to Australia, but there was still awful overcrowding, especially during the potato famine where even the horrid conditions in the jail were better than starving outside. Yeah, people would steal or do things just to get arrested. Yeah, yeah. I would have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was decommissioned as a prison by the Irish Free State in 1924. Okay. Because um, it was seen as a site of oppression. I could uh, see that. Yeah, it had been closed in the like late 1800s, but the British had reopened it in 1910 to jail those who took were taking part in the rebellion. Um, and obviously stayed until 1924 when they closed it. Uh, they executed many um, rebels in the courtyard. Uh, it took a lot of conversations and different groups trying to restore it before it became a museum. Finally, in 1960, they started work. 1962, they cleared the yard where leaders of the 1916 uprising had been executed. Robert Emmett was a prisoner here, as we heard about him earlier from the 1700s. 1798. Rebellion, 98 Rebellion. Um, and several films have used this location as part of their mm. film set, um, including The Italian Job. I've seen that. In the Name of the Father. Don't know if I saw that. Uh, Michael Collins and mm. Paddington 2. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some of the ghost stories. So okay. um, several of these happened during that restoration All right, that we were just talking about. Um, so here's the first story. Governor Dan McGill lived at the Kilhaman in the old warden's quarters overseeing the restorations. One night he looked out the window to see the old chapel lights on. He found this odd since he had only just turned those lights off himself. He went to investigate and found the chapel empty. He turned the lights off a second time and returned to his quarters. When he looked out the window, he saw that the lights had been turned on yet again. So he made another trip to the chapel to turn the lights off for the third time that night. Finally, after the third time, the lights stayed off and he and his family were able to get some sleep. Uh, do you remember if this, like, when this was? Was this in the 1900s? This was the 1960s. So 1960s. this was like okay, in yeah. the, you know, 62-ish yeah, yeah. time frame. So I'm just thinking that it was faulty electricity. I'm thinking that there was a short or something that caused this to happen. Um, it's not that uncommon in a place that old that was that they added electricity to after the fact. Mm, okay. I mean, to me, I feel like the fact that he had to that it finally did stay off after three times, you know, I would think and that there weren't any other problems after that seems like it was more than just faulty electricity. Could have been a problem in the switch. Mm. And by the third time, maybe he maybe he hit the switch a little bit harder and that caused it to fix itself. <laughs> fix the short. So what would you give this uh, rating? A zero. A zero. <laughs> I would give this one a seven. 
A seven. Yes. Now we're really far apart. I mean, this is a specific story. This guy was freaked out. Okay. All right. So you ready for another one? Yes. Okay. Arguably the most famous ghostly visitation also took place. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) That's why I put it in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, It took place during the 1960s during this restoration. Um, So as part of the restoration efforts, a volunteer was painting the dungeon area. Gotta love a prison with a dungeon. Mm. Uh, All of a sudden, an unseen force blew him across the room and pinned him against the far wall. It took several minutes, but the man was able to fight free and escape the dungeon. Other volunteers found the shaken man who flatly refused to ever set foot in the dungeon again. Hmm. I'm going to probably say that he made this all up because working conditions in a dungeon were probably pretty bad. <laughs> he was a volunteer, so he could have just left. He didn't have I to. I think he uh... did just leave, but he created a little fantasy. <laughs> I do not think that. I definitely think something happened to him down there that freaked him out. It was just one person's word versus, you know, science. <laughs> I'm always pick science for that. So uh, I'm going to, I know, I'm not going to guess your rating. What's your rating? A one. A whoa, you went up one. Yeah. Okay. This one I'll give a one. All right. Well, I'm going to give this one uh, a seven as well. A seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So you ready for one more story? Yes. Okay. Visitors and employees still claim to see people they think are period actors, but aren't. So- I forgot that was actually there's one there's another reenactment one at the, yeah, the that jail makes as sense well with the jail yeah. right or and with the, the gall or whatever you're calling it <laughs> this is <laughs> um, they say they feel an evil presence by the chapel balcony um, they hear footsteps hear voices and see lights turning themselves on and off so it's not there were these two specific stories but other visitors and employees through the years have felt that they've they've seen people but they really aren't there. Um, and then they hear hear these things. So what do you think? So I'm going to say that, you know, you you said that this was a place of great uh, oppression. Yes. And um, that people visiting this are probably filled with a lot of emotion once mm. they once they hear the tales, once they hear the story. I'm sure it's dimly lit. Uh, I think that they are mistaken. I think that they don't see anything, but they believe that they do. And I believe that um, that them doing tours there, I'm not going to say because they make money, because that people get so mad at me when I say that. <laughs> um, but I am going to say that because they give tours at this place, you know, your, your expectation's high, your desire is really, really high, and therefore I question the evidence. Mm. Now, I will say it is not a haunted tour, and it is a museum. It is considered a museum, a place where, you know, they are talking about the troubles and all the things that happened. That all these people died there and all this. I mean, it might not be set as a ghost tour, but, I mean, once people hear of all these dyings and you're in a dungeon and you're all over the place, I mean, I believe that this is manifested by by their desire and belief. Okay. I think there's a, a number of people who um, have had these had these sightings and claims over the years, so it seems uh, a bit more believable to me. Okay. Um, so I would give it, I'm going to give this one an eight. I'm going to go with a one. 
Okay. I'll stick with the one. Okay. Um, so what would you say is your overall rating for Dublin? My overall rating for Dublin. Yeah. I mean, I gave you three Dub- of the top examples of- uh, Dublin. Dublin. I'm going to say one. What? After all of this evidence? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> None of this seems different than the stories we hear here, you know? Yeah, I. so we're starting to learn kind of some of the questions you were asking at the beginning. Well, okay. Can Can these things be recreated on demand? No, ghost stories cannot do that. Well, then science does not back that. Scientifically, evidence can be recreated. Well, not always. I mean, you can't. But you don't believe in something that might have occurred that you cannot recreate. It's just you don't. That's not. That's not. That's not science. I'm sorry. I mean, it's science that avalanches exist, but like. You don't recreate those. But you could. <laughs> you mean, could. If you exploded dynamite. Yeah. Well, it would be man-made and it would be recreated and you could see evidence of it. I don't, there, this cannot be recreated. So I do not believe that it's, that it's real. All right. Well, I think that Dublin's pretty haunted. All right. Well, that brings us to our closing arguments. Uh, all right. This is our last chance to convince you to vote our way. We are each given one minute of uninterrupted time. We will time each other on our cell phones to keep each other honest, Rebecca. Okay, Patrick. (laughs) And are you ready? I am ready. All right, here goes. All right, so I think that Dublin is haunted. I mean, of all the cities in the world, I mean, this is definitely a city that has had its emotions um, gone up and down over the years, right? I mean, the the British coming in and different people living there, growing, doubling, cutting themselves and or getting caught in half, doubling again. Um, people wanting to, uh, you know, have a rebellion and then going back. So it doesn't surprise me that all of these stories intertwined, and there are so many haunted places throughout the city. You know, places where all these revolutionaries who were so emotional um, have left impressions and uh, places where the people who felt oppressed were were jailed or or uh, were were buried. Um, the people that fought against those revolutionaries. Um, you know, this is an emotional, emotional city. It's a great place to go, but it's haunted. All right. You made it. I did. Are you uh, ready? I am ready. Okay, here we go. And go. With a place that has this much history of this many people dying, of this many ghost stories, you would think that this would be the one place that they could recreate something like this on an ongoing basis, that we could finally have scientific evidence that there are ghosts. We do not have this scientific evidence. We're not even close to that. I was hoping that we would have something that could be recreated on an ongoing basis, and I didn't find it here. I didn't find it in the streets of Dublin. I didn't find it in the history of Dublin. I didn't find sweet Molly Malone wheeling her wheelbarrow through streets broad and narrow. Dublin is not haunted. 
Mic drop. Mic drop. Okay. I was going to say, <laughs> you got a couple seconds. Of, I was waiting for you to break into the song. In Dublin's fair city. where the, No, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> uh, so I want to thank you so much for listening. Please share us with your friends and family as word of mouth is our best advertisement. We have a lot going on. Uh, we just finished talking paranormally too. That'll be out next week for you to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're following along and listening on the day the episodes come out. Uh, if not, you could... Just go to that next episode now then, right after that. (laughs) Uh, Really excited, though, because our next episode, we're going to be talking about the island of the dead dolls in Mexico. Mexico. Island Uh, of the dead dolls, so uh, Bob's favorite. Yes. I can't wait for Bob to to hear it. I don't know if he's done an episode on this. I got to talk to Bob about it. Yeah, I have to find out. It comes out on July 8th. All right. So do you have anything to add before we go? Uh, no, just, uh, you know, everyone stay safe out there and uh, just listen to Ghostly. Stay home and listen to Ghostly. This is the first time during Ghostly that I haven't had coffee because it's too freaking hot. <laughs> <laughs> I would melt if I had coffee right about now. Well, we've got in two weeks. Hopefully uh, we'll get things working Yeah, we got to we got to figure this out or... <laughs> We're going to be doing this on the streets of Dublin, maybe. (laughs) Okay, that sounds good. Until next time, stay ghostly. Bye.